Welcome to the Inked Film Podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week, we discuss the final third of J.R.R. Tolkien's The Fellowship of the Ring, part one of The Lord of the Rings. I sit beside the fire and think of people long ago, and people who will see a world that I shall never know. ready to get into the final third of fellowship of the ring james it's a little bittersweet because this is the final part of the book yeah we got the movie episode next week though so you can look forward to that i'm really excited to watch it actually yeah i might i think i'm gonna watch it literally whenever we're done recording (laughs) oh i should probably point out for people we're gonna do the extended edition we decided um, just for the full content i guess so if anybody wants to watch it too that's the one we're gonna we're gonna watch and talk about but right now we're all book and uh, we got a lot to talk about in this episode, so I thought we'd get right into our summary and, and discussion. Are you, are you ready for that? Let's do it. So last we left off, uh, they were at the Council of Elrond, and it was decided that Frodo would take the ring. And uh, I don't think they had quite decided who was going to go with him yet, though. So we, we get chapter three here, and it's called The Ring Goes South. So there's a Hobbit meeting in Bilbo's room. Merry and Pippin are bummed because uh, Sam was told he can go, and they and they weren't told that. <laughs> um, so and 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 Pippin says uh, someone with intelligence should go with them. And Gandalf talks some trash to him. <laughs> says, "Well, then, basically, then you can't. You, I don't know why you would go." <laughs> um, Gandalf is a is a bit is a bit catty sometimes, and I like it. He's sassy in the novel. <laughs> So Gandalf says he thinks that he he thinks that he's going to come with, but he wants Elrond and Strider to decide, which I thought was a little interesting. It's like almost noncommittal or or like conceding to Elrond's greater wisdom. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of like Aragorn and him deciding together what they're going to do. And 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 then like Elrond being such a big figure in this story. Like, I feel like obviously he's big in the movie, but he's like basically deciding the fate of everything that goes on. Yeah. So uh, Bilbo starts talking about books, and I thought this was really interesting. Um, He says uh, that a dark, he's talking about his own book, but you can also say that he's talking about books in general, and he's talking about maybe the book you're reading, right? Like it's kind of meta. And he says a dark and unpleasant ending won't do. Um, he, He likes the ending of they all settled down and lived happily ever after. And Sam says he always wonders like where people are gonna do that. Did you think that this uh, talk of a happy ending and, and what Bilbo wants is like some sort of foreshadowing for this series? Like, is this like kind of a gentle signal to the reader that like this is going to be a happy ending kind of story? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Do, do you, does it bother you to have that kind of um, called out or do you think that's like fits with the tone of the story or what? Yeah. Well, the foreshadowing that happens in this book, I was going to ask you as a writer, but uh, your question first, does it bother me? I don't think it bothers me. I think it does fit the story, but yeah. I feel like it's definitely one of those things where it's like if if you're reading a story that wasn't a Tolkien epic, you know, masterpiece novel and they're they're giving you as much foreshadowing and like 
scenes where they get like they get prophecies or visions or dreams or anything like that they're so clearly foreshadowing to what's going to happen uh that it's almost like it almost if you if you don't know where it's going it almost lays it out for you too much in my opinion but i think this was written you know in the 30s to the 50s so he he kind of gets away with it but and ultimately i like it it just seems like i don't know it seems like it's a little too on the nose almost to where it's like there's not as much left to mystery as you would think so you're you're kind of talking about two separate things here um for one this this meta thing is is kind of operates on a different level it's more Mm -hmm. about kind of entertainment and like it's almost the author signaling what kind of entertainment he prefers so in that sense it's it's kind of this exterior thing it mm-hmm. feels a little bit to me. Prophecy, on the other hand, I think is more um, in-world. You know what I mean? Like it's right. it's setting up the kind of story and the the idea of fate and the idea of um, in a, like a kind of unavoidable things. That has become a bit of a trope in fantasy since since Tolkien. Really, I think this is kind of this. You know, you can trace a lot back to Tolkien. Um, a lot of people put prophecies in their fantasy because they feel they need to. They feel like that that's part of what goes into fantasy. You have a prophecy about what's going to happen at the end, right? Right. Um, and it, it can create a sense of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe something crazy is going to happen. And if it's being foretold, then he can't avoid it. So now you feel like trapped by it almost. But, um, you know, people also argue that it can feel unreal in the, in the sense that it can feel like characters don't have their own agency and they're being kind of pushed along to Mm -hmm. fulfill these prophecy points so it probably all depends on like the skill of the writer um i I think in 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 fellowship it's fine for me because i can recognize that this is kind of the beginning of that trope but that's not always the case when i read fantasy yeah i guess you're right i guess that is like two separate things but i just felt like with the amount of foreshadowing that went on I, I mean, and it might be one of those things where I've, I know the stories well enough to where I pick up on every little thing, but it does seem like every little thing that he gives eventually leads to some plot point or some thing that's being set up or, or, you know, we'll talk about it when we get to the visions kind of that they're given from the glass. Yeah. Well, and prophecies are kind of a promise to the reader. Like you're mm-hmm. not going to show them a prophecy if none of the things that you're showing them are going to come to pass. Cause I don't know. I just feel like that would be kind of a cheat. But yeah, let's move on. Uh, so the hobbits raid out, wait out the season in Rivendell, and this is another point of where like the book where like they're like in such a hurry, this must be done now. The Dark Lord is coming close. Uh, let's mm-hmm. just wait out the season and, and Rivendell and not go anywhere for months. Yeah, um, it's kind of weird, but that's what they do. Eventually, Elrond summons them and tells them that now the ring must go soon. <laughs> like he's like, now the ring has got to go soon. And I'm like, yeah, we've been sitting here for months. What? Of course. Elrond decides there will be nine walkers for the nine riders. So that was interesting. There's kind of a, he's setting up like a symmetry between the ring wraiths and the fellowship. Right. One like one to one, I guess. So he's picking them and he picks Legolas and Gimli to go Strider and Boromir because he wants to represent all the races of Middle Earth. And uh, and he has Sam and Frodo and he's like, well, that leaves two. Hmm. Who will go? <laughs> and Mary and Pippin are like, we want to go. <laughs> um, and it's funny because it's like it was almost like he wasn't going to choose them, but they kind of talked their way into it. I think he's he's a little bit hesitant to send them south because they both seem like very naive and like innocent. And he knows it's going to be dangerous. So we also learned that the sword of Elendil is forged anew and renamed. I'm going to screw up a lot of these names, by the way. Uh, renamed by Aragorn as Ender Enderil, Enderil, the Flame of the West, which is a pretty cool name for a sword. Named swords in general, pretty cool. Uh, I, I like that. It's kind of a it's a fantasy trope, but you know it's cool. 
It's I, very it, cool. Because ultimately, like, we read fantasy because we like the tropes. You know what I mean? So some yeah. of the stuff, just because I say it's a trope, doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. Yeah, definitely. I mean, having Sting and having all these things, it gives, like, character and, like, it makes it so that, the, the you know, the weapon is a character. So uh, we also get a song here by Bilbo. Oh, for, first he gives he gives Frodo Sting and he gives him his mithril chain shirt, which is, you know, we, we learned is important. It seems like Bilbo doesn't really know just how, you know, special it is, but we find out later. Um, and then, yeah, we get that we get that little line that I that I started this episode with. I sit beside the fire and think of people long ago and people who will see a world that I shall never know. And that line stood out to me because when I heard it, I thought about Tolkien and I thought about how we are sitting here reading his book, you know, 50 years after he died. And in a sense, he's kind of talking to us from the grave, but also we live in a world that he never knew and doesn't, you know, never saw. So in that sense, like I, I thought of it kind of like really broad and kind of uh, what it's like to read these kind of like long dead authors. And I don't know, it's kind of existential, I guess. Yeah. And like to think we're I mean, we're making a podcast. So our voices are being recorded for, you know, who, who knows? knows? We'll hear it. Yeah, exactly. In the future, or what can happen? I don't know. Yeah, maybe aliens one day will be listening to this and trying to figure out what the fuck we're talking about. This will be the one thing that they latch onto and they're like, this is what humans <laughs> are like. Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we, we get kind of a like a like an equip equipment rundown of what everybody's carrying. Uh, we find out that Boromir has a longsword and shield, and he has a warhorn that he blows once as like a setting off on an adventure kind of thing. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, and they're all like, I don't know why you're blowing that now. And he's like, I always blow it at the start of a journey. Well, they're also like, don't do it again. They're like, you're gonna fucking give away our position. <laughs> yeah. I also like a bit of fantasy geekdom here. Uh, longsword paired with a shield is actually a bad idea. Um, it's it longswords are not u- used in one hand. That's like a thing that's been perpetrated by D and D because they're classified as one handed swords in D and D. But in real life, longswords are, are wielded in two hands. So you could carry a shield. You're just not going to use it at the same time as your sword, which seems kind of weird. You would want like an arming sword or something smaller. Um, but anyway, that's just a bit of uh, geekdom that I got into when I was re- researching my own fantasy novel. <laughs> so Gandalf has Glamdring, which is always, always funny that Gandalf has this like magic sword, too, because it's like he's this badass wizard and he has his staff, but he also gets to have a cool sword. Um, you know, a special brand of wizardry and in, in, uh, in fellowship here. Also, Bill the Pony is going to come along. Uh, Sam goes over his cooking stuff and laments not having any rope, which uh, kind of becomes a recurring gag. Elrond reminds everybody. He's like, hey, everyone, you can, you guys can all abandon this quest at any time. Don't worry about it. If at any point you decide you don't want to go anymore, just leave. Uh, only Frodo, you're, you're, you're beholden to go. You, you, you swore an oath. And I, I felt a little, it felt a little like cold. I don't know. It's like weird to be like, hey, you guys who are going, you don't really have to go if you don't want to. That's a moment where I was like, wow, that seems like, I don't know. You would want to be like hyping them up and not telling them. He basically said like, you can come back anytime you want. Yeah. Well, we do get a sweet line from Gimli in response to this that actually gave me chills when I was reading it. He says, faithless is he who, f- who says farewell when the road darkens. Yeah, because Gimli's a badass. And it's it's a it's a moment of Gimli being pretty cool, right? Yeah. I continue to think that book Gimli is cooler than movie Gimli. Like I I just I like him in the book. I think the dwarves I think you were right in saying in our last episode that the dwarves kind of get shafted a little bit because we get some really cool dwarf like we we kind of get more into what was going on with the dwarves than yeah. what is kind of like hinted at in the movie. We get like yeah. actual details of what's going on and, and yeah, I think that um the dwarves are awesome, man. 
Cool. I mean, they're my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so they leave. They finally leave in the dark of night, and they have uh, days of hard journey with cold right as soon as they get out of Rivendell. Uh, through the land, they go into the mountains, and Gimli recognizes these mountains, and he says that below them is Khazadum and Moria. And they stop in the land of Holland, and Strider notices that there's like a weird silence, and they start to. Gandalf is like at, at ill at ease, and they start setting watches, and then they see crows fly in that actually swoop down, and they have to hide from them. And this is like an, an, an example of the crows being kind of like spies of Sauron, right? Um, there's a lot of Aragorn and Gandalf kind of debating what path to, to, to take. And it's funny because I don't, I, I mean, we're referring to the movie again, but I feel like this is different in the movie. Aragorn wants to go through the mountain pass and Gandalf wants to take this secret route, this other route. And, and Aragorn's really against it. And um, it begins to snow and, and Aragorn's like the leader. So Gandalf is like letting him choose. And the storm picks up and they hear a fell voice on the wind. And they all, you know, they all just like, try and get shelter. Frodo is like freezing. All the all the hobbits are really cold. Oh, there's that one point where like Aragorn and Boromir are like burrowing through the snow to like make a path and Legolas just like hops up on top of the snow and just like runs away. And it was like it's like so random. Um, I guess he was running up ahead to look, but it felt very much like he was just showing off. Like hey, he was definitely showing off. This is part of the reason like I was saying before that they're like really overpowered. The elves are wild. Like they yeah. can see ridiculous distances. They can just like run swiftly on the snow and yeah. not make any footprints. But eventually they they have to head back down the mountain defeated by it. And I just wanted to say that like Boromir and, and Aragorn working together and just being kind of badasses is like I'm so there for it. Mm-hmm. It's so cool to me. Like seeing I don't know, like i I'm really paying attention a lot of attention to Boromir in this read through, trying me to figure too. out like his character more. And I like seeing him doing these kind of things where he's like really truly part of the group and holding his own and, and being a badass in his own right. I don't know. I think a lot of that stuff's cool. Yeah, I wanted to talk about how we begin to see nature playing a role in this adventure. Yeah. Where we get we get the crows who are like seemingly Sauron spies that he can control. And then like um, Gimli talks about when, they, when they're leaving the mountain because it begins to snow really heavily. I don't know if that's ahead of where we're at right now, but... No, no, I think that's here, yeah. So it's, it's snowing really heavily, so they have to go back the kind of the yeah. way they came down the mountain. And he talks yeah. about how like as they get down, it be, the snow begins to let up. So it's like seemingly like a force that was that was keeping them away from their goal. Yeah. And well, there's this fell voice on the wind, which like we know from the movie or we think from the movie is you know Saruman, but I think it's unclear what what is causing it. Right. In, in the book. So it's like, and then we also we've also gotten the positive end of it. Like Tom Bombadil isn't necessarily like nature itself, but he's like nature. In a good in a good force, you mean in a good in force, a good way. yeah. So he's yeah, like yeah. the opposite of it. So I just wanted to say, like, I thought that it's cool that nature is playing an active role, positively yeah. and neg- negatively. Well, and we get a lot of these like travel log chapters, which kind of this feels like. Like you get a little bit of character stuff, but uh, it often just feels like the 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 group against nature, against the path itself and the hard trail. And a lot of that in the movie, I think, because it's probably not as interesting to show that. Um, a lot of it just becomes like a scenic, you know. We're into a scenic pan of like a mountain and then get to some dialogue and like, I don't know, they kind of, ru- they rush a lot of that stuff, I think naturally, but in the book, it's a big part because like a lot of chapters really focus on, you know, this day they did this and they encountered this problem. And then this day they, they, they had to cross this hill and like, there's a lot of this just like fairly mundane traveling stuff, but it, it creates a certain atmosphere of like a travel log or, 
or this adventure, you know, and it, and it also gives it like a length. Like we really feel like I feel like with Frodo and them, like they've been away from home a long time. Um, whereas in, in the movie, you feel like hasn't it's only been like a week or something. <laughs> I don't right. know. Chapter 14 is called A Journey in the Dark. Gandalf basically gives them energy drinks here, um, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> they all take a sip and they feel like boosted. And I'm like, all right, he's handing out Red Bulls. Um, and he says that the ring race. Uh, oh, I, I, this was an interesting thing. He says the ring race would be way more powerful when the ring is on the mas- their master's hand, which I don't know if they say that in the movie, but I thought it was pretty cool. The idea that being like as scary as they are now. If Sar- Sauron gets the ring, they're going to become like crazy powerful. We have talked about the fact that like they were the kings, right? Yeah. Well, well, I don't know if we talked about it, but yeah. Well, yeah. It's just to address it, they they were the kings. That, so you know, all the rings that were made, there was there was three for the elves, and then what? Five for the dwarves, or five for the dwarves? Six? I think yeah, something like that. I don't know. And we haven't anyway. memorized the little the little rhyme, so shame on us. Yeah. The nine the nine rings that were given out to the men those those men turned and became the wraiths so i don't know i feel like that's always been something that like even as like when i first read this story i felt like that was really interesting because what happened to the dwarves? i mean we kind of know what happened to the dwarves in the book who had the rings they were lost and the the dwarves are really into into stones and and jewelry in general and then the elves is is kind of something that we get also it is interesting that the men like i it, it was i think he maybe made those rings different with the express purpose of kind of controlling mm-hmm. them. I think it has a bit to do with like men being susceptible for some reason. Like they're, they're more susceptible to being like controlled and like, like dwarves are so stubborn and elves have like their own type of magic that they can, they can kind of fight that. Yeah. So Gandalf says there's a road that leads into Moria. And once again, he's advising, they go under the mountain and uh, Aragorn, you know, kind of makes a reference to Mordor and he's like, don't talk to me of Mordor. I'm, I alone have been in the dungeons of the Dark Lord. Um, and it's kind of a cool moment, but it's also like him, I don't know, dis- discounting Aragorn's fears. And, you know, Gandalf says Balin may be in there, and then Gimli wants to go, and then, like, once Gimli kind of latches onto it, Gandalf's like, okay, yeah, Gimli wants to go with me. <laughs> I don't know. It was interesting that it was very, like, I think that's the complete opposite of the movie, right? Because isn't Gandalf, like, really hesitant to go through Moria in the movie? Yeah, but I think he still leads them there. Like, I think he ultimately, like, that's the only way for them to go. But yeah, it is different because, like, here he's seemingly, like, that's all he's been, been his, wanting to do it from the that's beginning. That's his option, yeah. And, but we get yeah. the thing where, where Aragorn tells, tells Gandalf that, like, be, be cautious going into, to Moria, who really knows what can happen to you. Like, kind of gives, like, this prophecy, right? I, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that I think in the book, he feels more fallible. He feels like he makes mistakes sometimes and yeah. doesn't have perfect knowledge. Like he sometimes seems like he does in the movie. They mention they mention that he's also like quick to anger, yeah. which is something that he's not as much in the book, I feel, or in the movie, sorry. And he is right. he's more quick to anger in the book. So yeah, it's definitely, we've talked about it, but shifted personality for Gandalf. Yeah. So they hear some wolves howling, and we get this line from Aragorn that I rather like. He says, where the warg howls, there also the orc prowls. <laughs> I don't know. I like that. It's pretty funny. It's cool. The world, the wordplay there amuses me. <laughs> uh, so Gandalf, uh, he, he yells at a warg. Uh, he's like, Odar comes near here when <laughs> they like co- creep close on the camp. Um, Legolas shoots one. The wargs attack. Aragorn kills one. Boromir another. And Gandalf seems to like grow in size and he uses this burning branch to like catch a tree on fire and an arrow shot by Legolas bursts into flames before it plunges into the heart of a warg. And 
this is like the first of actually some pretty sweet action scenes that we get in this book. And I wanted to like give Tolkien his props since I kind of like poo-pooed it in the last episode. Yeah. Like this was a pretty cool. I mean, he doesn't like get into every nitty gritty like swing of the sword, but the stuff we do get is pretty cool actually. Yeah. When you said that last, last time, um, I was like, I just like bought it. I was like, yeah, yeah, he definitely doesn't do fight scenes very well. But then there's like a couple in this in this last yeah. section here to finish up the book. Where kind of like, proves me this wrong. is badass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and it's funny because I didn't remember it being like that. But yeah, reading it this time, I just I'm noticing more. Um, they get to this lake and they they uh, get up to the edge of the mines where they're looking for the door. And they start and and Gandalf tells Sam that they're gonna have to leave Bill behind, and Sam's like upset about that. There's these odd ripplings, ripplings coming from the lake. Gandalf is like t- telling Sam, "Oh yeah, we're gonna have to leave Bill behind." He lays a hand on Bill and he gives him this like blessing, like "Go to wherever you will find comfort and be safe or whatever." And Sam's like all worried about him getting killed by the wargs. And I wanted to know, do you think Gandalf is like full of shit here and he's just like pulling one over on Sam? I thought or do you about think that. He's really putting like a real blessing on. <laughs> I thought about that too when I was like, "Is he just fucking telling Sam whatever he wants to hear?" <laughs> I think yeah, he's like, it, I put a blessing on him. He'll be fine. <laughs> I like to think that Gandalf wouldn't do that. I like to think that he did give him a blessing and that he's going to make it. And, you know, I was bummed out, dude. I I like Build-A-Pony. He's also known for, for tricking people, though. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? I'm seeing Gandalf is a little more manipulative now. I, I don't know. I Like I said, I want to believe, but it also is like a little like... We we take it for granted. We're like, oh yeah, he has some sort of magic where he can put up like a protection spell on this donkey or whatever he is, pony. And but then I'm thinking about it. I'm like, why would he expend the energy? I don't know. I don't know if he really does, or if he just says that to like set Sam's mind at ease. I hope so, man. My my mind will not be at ease if he if he fucking told him one thing and Bill the Pony gets thrashed by it. <laughs> if they have cut to cut to Bill the Pony getting eaten by orcs while they're inside Moria, you know. <laughs> Damn it, dude! Bill the Pony is awesome. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe we see Bill again later. I don't remember honestly. I think we do, but okay. <laughs> so he probably survives. So uh, we learned that dwarf doors are invisible when shut, uh, but Gandalf is, is is trying to find the door, and he ends up finding it with his, like, staff, I guess, and they have the whole, like, speak friend and enter, and they're trying to figure really it out. Really cool, man. I, I like that, just because I like, like, the riddle kind of thing where you're trying to figure yeah. it out as the reader, and it was something I really liked in The Hobbit as well, is, like, riddles, Gollum, in the dark. riddles in the Dark, exactly. I always liked that part a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and this is also, like, we talked about its effect on D&D. I think this is very strongly, like, a lot of people love to have little, like, riddles or, like, little puzzles you have to solve to get past a door, or get open something, find a lever, whatever it is. And, like, I think a lot of it comes back to this because of the fun that people have reading this and, like, trying to figure it out on their own, yeah. too. So Gandalf is frustrated, and he's, like, sitting there, like, mulling it over. And, and, and I just think it's he, it's a pretty funny scene where he's, like, very confidently, like, yelling words at it, but then it keeps not working, and he just grows more and more frustrated about mm-hmm. it, you know? Um, he even, like, hits it with his staff and then finally sits down, like, all frustrated. And Boromir, like, gets a rock and throws it into the water, um, which, okay, not Big a great move, idea. For sure. Uh, and Frodo's like "Uh, I'm afraid of that water let's not do that Um, and then all of a sudden Gandalf springs up and he says Melon and he opens the door so that's different that's um he just like thinks of it eventually I think in the movie doesn't somebody give him a hint in the book as well I thought I I I remember somebody giving him a a hint right here as well like somebody said Oh yeah, Mary. Mary, um, Mary kind of gives him a hint, but then he puts it together. He he runs yeah. with it. So yeah, m- maybe it is. But similar. I think in the movie, it's like somebody else. Somebody else comes up with it. I think Frodo yeah. or I don't know. Somebody else comes up with it. Yeah, maybe it's Mary. 
Um, so anyway, he says, oh, it was too simple. That's why I didn't <laughs> think of it. It was right in front of my face. Um, uh, uh, Bill the Pony runs away immediately. And uh, all of a sudden, these tentacles, which are like green and luminous, come out, shoot out of the water. They start grabbing at Frodo. And they quickly get everybody inside and shut the door. And uh, so this is like a, actually a much briefer scene than it is in the movie. And we don't get like really much of a fight with this tentacle monster mm-hmm. or anything. Um, and then they're inside and Sam's like, oh, man, I hope Bill's going to be okay. And then they find that they can't get the door back open. So there's only one way to go. And that's deeper into the mines. So Frodo asks what it was, but Gandalf doesn't know. Uh, he says older and fouler things are, live in the deep places of the world, which is kind of f- foreshadowing. So he uses his staff to, to kind of lead the ways. He uses like to give it a little bit of light. And Frodo has Sting, which he draws, but he doesn't see it glowing. So we know there's not, like, orcs near. They go through these fissures and caverns, and we get a lot of, like, them just traveling through these caverns and, and tunnels for a while here. Um, then we also, this is the first time, I think, we get Frodo saying that he hears something following them. And I'm like, how did Gollum, spoiler, I guess, we, we know it's Gollum. It's revealed at the end of the section. And how did he get inside the mines? Wouldn't they have seen him have to come through the door as they came through? He found another way in, maybe? I don't know. Either he came through with them, figured out a way to sneak in, or or he, but well, he was in the mines for a long time, right? I don't know. Like, before The Hobbit. Like, he had been, like, hit, hadn't he been, like, in the... Well, he was underground. He was in the mines of Moria, though. You're right. It was, like, some goblin place. It was, like, a goblin. Maybe he's just been, like, maybe he's just been hanging out here and, like, has this is where he's been chilling. I don't know. That could be true. He is drawn to the ring, so we always have to remember that. Like, it's easier for him to find it because I feel like he can sense it at all times. Like, it pulls yeah. to him, like, supernaturally. So they, they recognize that Gollum's behind him, but they decide, like, they're not going to do anything about it. Eventually, they find this wide chamber, and there's this large hole that they think of as a well that has, like, chains dangling down into it. And Gimli says, oh, this, is a, this was a guard room. And Pippin is, like, unnaturally attracted to the well, and he drops a loose stone in it, which falls really far and he hears this like really distant plunk and then we get the full of a took line from gandalf and they hear this like distant knocking and uh gimli says it sounds like a hammer and then they set watch uh gandalf says he needs some smoke because he hasn't had any while pulls out his pipe starts smoking helps him think pipe weed and uh then they leave and they march on for hours and like i was confused i'm like wait is this the part so this is like a separate kind of thing that they i think they roll into one scene in the movie so they march on for hours. Uh, they pass into a big chamber. Gandalf raises his staff and ignites it. And he's pleased because in this new chamber, he knows where he is. So they rest again. And Gimli starts talking about how this was a, sit- a city. And he sings a song about Moria and Durin. And Gandalf says that the orcs have been here and plundered the mines. Um, and this was like a place where they, they mined for true silver or mithril, which is beyond price. And they also are talking about just how like amazing and, and like valuable it is. And, you know, Frodo's sitting there with his mithril shirt on, keeping it quiet because he hasn't told Yeah, somebody yet. mentions, like, the mithril shirt that Bilbo had, I think Gandalf does, is worth, yeah. like, more than the Shire. More than the Shire, yeah, which I, uh, it's funny because, like, even, even though, like, Tolkien doesn't highlight it, you can feel Frodo sitting there, like, freaking out a little bit, right? Yeah. They go on and they enter this new room where they see um, this large square chamber that has a large uh, slab of white stone, stone, which they find to be Balin's tomb. And then that's the end of chapter four. Yeah, so there's a lot to cover in this chapter. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about was the Aragorn thing where he he said to Gandalf, like, you should beware of Moria. What, what did, do you think that that was just something that he was saying because, because Gandalf so badly wanted to go to Moria? Do you think that he had some sort of 
prior knowledge that like something would happen to Gandalf if he went to Moria? Kind of like, uh, like is he having a precondition? Not there? even that. Like, ha- has he been shown by like some of the elves or something? Or I don't know. I think Aragorn just has like really good senses and like really good like um intuition like yeah, he just senses, knows. i guess like into yeah. intuition yeah there you go so he's just like kind of intuiting and like he knows that this is just a bad place and he keeps thinking like if we go in there something bad's gonna happen it's just like a sixth sense i think yeah. he's telling him that cool yeah i felt like it was like oh it was like for me i felt like it was just like he knew something that we didn't when gandalf didn't but it just the way that tolkien kind of played it i guess i wanted to ask you how much because you had said that the the dwarves are your favorite, how much did you love getting all this dwarven backstory where we learn kind of the expedition that was taken into Moria to 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 try to find Mithril? Oh, it's cool, man. It's it's um I I like I like getting it. I like um the backstory. This chapter coming up is like my it's probably my favorite chapter in the whole book. So what this leads to is yeah. really cool. And I think we'd actually know that the expedition was to find Mithril, but also to find one of the rings of power, like to find one of the dwarven rings of power. Right. So like just Which knowing like that's why they were going in and knowing Balin from the Hobbit and like just giving all that context. Yeah. It's just like. And it was like they knew that orcs were in there and they were coming to like try and drive them out. Right. And, fight and we them. get that epic like we learn from the from the book that they have there, kind of their struggle. Yeah. Well, that's about happening okay, in the next sorry. chapter. <laughs> Go ahead. So chapter five, my favorite chapter in the entire book, is called The Bridge of Casa Doom. And while they're sitting in this room, they start looking around and they and and they notice all the like chests are broken and have been plundered, and they find this old blackened and burned book. And Gandalf tries to decipher it, and he starts mentioning orcs, and he says, Oh, you know, Balin is now the Lord of Moria. And they mention that they found Mithril. And uh, uh, O'Gimlin points out that at uh, one point it's Ori's handwriting. So we know that um, that's another that's another of the, the, the doors from right. the Hobbit, right? So then there's just like the word sorrow. And then we have barred the gates. Horrible. Suffer. And I just want to like the whole tone of the book changes for this one chapter. And it becomes this really suspenseful, thrilling, dark like it almost feels like a different book, but I love it because it's it is so unique um, to to this moment. And yeah, so you get all this tone setting by the book, right? And it's this creepy old book, and they find out that about this last stand and and the words we cannot get out, we cannot get out. They talk about drums, drums in the deep, they are coming. And then we start hearing the drums, these drums, right? right? Um, they wish to leave, and Gandalf says, oh, I know where they are. And then, yeah, the, the sound of the drums, and, and what I think is a brilliant choice by, by Tolkien, is literally he says, doom, doom, mm-hmm. is the sound they right. make. And, like, it's like, I guess you could say it's a little on the nose, but, like, it's so good because it's the sound of the drum, yet it's, like, driving home how dark this moment is, right? Doom, doom. Like, it's like the doom of Moria is, like, descending right. on them, right? The Dude, I totally agree with you, by the way. This this is definitely the best chapter. There's so much um, going on. And the... the, the Okay, so we just came from a, a, a chapter where we didn't really talk about it, but in the context of the book, they were being very quiet. There was a pebble that got dropped on a yeah. mine, and then all of these things were very quiet. So we're getting in that mindset where we're very... We're trying to be very stealthy as well as we're reading. And then, like you say, like the the drums start up, and then the drums are just a constant reminder that like something's coming, and it's all it's all coming down to this. It's like it's like be quiet as quiet as possible, and then and then just like pure danger. Well, there's right. terror. There's terror in this right. chapter, and so so yeah, we get. I mean, we get this these lines here too. We get uh, 
Legolas says they are coming. And then Gimli says, we cannot get out. And it echoes exactly what was said in the book. And it's this like chilling moment where you're like, oh, they're trapped. And the same thing, like there are all these uh, you know skeletons around them and they're they're going to you know wind up the same way. Then they all draw their weapons and Glamdring and Sting are glowing. And uh, Gandalf calls out. He's like, who comes to disturb the rest of Balin? And Aragorn says something like, we will teach them to fear this chamber or whatever. And and it's just like a cool moment of like standing against this like terror, right? And and this is the moment where we see them being like truly brave, and and uh, so Gandalf also like pops his head out and like fl- does this big flash that he can see, and he says, "Oh, there's many orcs, and and there's a great cave troll." And yeah, they um the orcs attack, and they're like fighting at the door, and then Frodo stabs this foot, and he's like he yells like for the Shire, and he runs up and he stabs like stabs it with the sting, and it's actually like does a lot of damage, and Aragorn's like, "Oh, one for the Shire," and and <laughs> so that was funny. <laughs> um, and then uh, together, they, it just says they slay 13. But it was actually really exciting stuff. This is where I was like, man, I, I need to kind of apologize to Tolkien because, you know, there's a lot of cool, like, swordplay going on. An orc chieftain comes in, and uh, Andoral, uh, <laughs> the orc fell with cloven head from Andoral being brought down by, you know, Aragorn. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Right. Um, so he's just, like, wrecking havoc. We see, we see a lot of uh, Aragorn being a badass, mm-hmm. right? But everybody does. Everybody's getting in on the act. And uh, eventually they have to leave and Gandalf sends them down. He holds the door. He's like, just go on, go on. And they all try and go on, but they're all like, they don't want to go on without him. And they can hear him like struggling and, and muttering these words. And they go down these flights of stairs. And then all of a sudden Gandalf is like flies down to them. And I wasn't sure if he was like blown back or like what happened, but it, it, it was weird. But like all of a sudden he comes down to them and he's like, I've never felt anything like that before. There was some like really strong counter spell and it threw me backwards and the, you know, I think the chamber collapsed and it seemed like the orcs were afraid of this thing. And they said the word fire in their tongue. Yeah. This, Oh, this is also where Aragorn's like, I thought, you know, I thought Frodo got skewered by the spear thrust, but then he seems to be fine. And he seems like, Oh, there's more to you than meets the eye. Cause he doesn't know about the mithril underneath Frodo's robes. Yeah. So so they keep going, and then um, they start to see this red, and the air starts to become very hot, and they, they realize there's this fissure in the ground in this hall, and it's got, like, flames and fire coming out of it. And they head across, and they hear this echoing, and the orcs are coming, and there's arrows raining down on them. Uh, Legolas is all of a sudden filled with terror because he sees something. It's, like, great shape. And he says it holds a, a, a blade of fire and a, and a whip, and he recognizes it as a Balrog of Morgoth. And uh, Doran's Bane, Gimli says. Gandalf's like, now I understand why I felt that power. Boromir blows his horn. He's like, <laughs> now's the time. <laughs> now is a, he's been waiting, man. <laughs> yep. He's always waiting. It like, for a moment, it like scares the orcs and like all the people are like, yeah, let's do it. So I don't know. Maybe it Even works. the Balrog like takes a, st- takes a beat. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, G- Gandalf's like, fly, this is a foe beyond any of you. And they look back, and he stands in the middle of this um, bridge, and, you know, the shadow comes up with two vast wings, and he says, you cannot pass. It steps forward onto the bridge. They clash swords, him and this Balrog. He says, he repeats, you cannot pass. And then Aragorn and Boromir are both like, you know, like they were told to leave, but they're both like, we can't leave him. And they both go to run back out onto the bridge together. Another cool Aragorn and Boromir, like, bro and out moment. Like, I love it. It's so cool, man, because they're just so honorable. Like they're so, they're always they're always there to fight. They're always yeah. Gonna... They're like they're ready. They're ready to die for for Gandalf here. 
And then um, right as they're doing that, Gandalf brings his staff down and he smote the bridge before him. It cracks at the Balrog's feet and he falls into darkness. And then as he's falling, the whip comes up, grabs him by the feet, pulls him down. And the last thing he says is, fly, you fools. And then he falls into darkness and the bridge falls and Aragorn leads them weeping. And um, they, I'm just going to finish the chapter out. They come to the gates and Aragorn's is like so full of grief that he just like slays this orc captain without even like a moment. Like it's just like slaughters them and all the other orcs are terrified and like run away and they get out into the land and then all of a sudden grief overcomes them all. And they all like basically fall down weeping and then we get the last doom doom drum beats that they hear in the distance and it's like this beating heart for this whole chapter which like really adds to that suspense and thrill and then um, yeah it's just, and then that's the end of the chapter and I just wanted to say, like, I think this is a we talked about the the end. I think this is an iconic moment in fantasy that this is like one of the things that has solidified the genre because it's such a cool moment. It's there's so many stakes. Um, we see how epic it can be. We, you know, with Gandalf standing up to this Balrog. And then it's also shocking. Like, I can't imagine reading this for the first time, you know, as being someone who was like an adult and like really caught up in this and then reading it and going, oh, my God, Gandalf who has been with me through The Hobbit, just died and being like, holy shit. You know what I mean? Because you don't know anything. Like, there's, like, hints that it's going to be okay. But, like, if you don't know anything, like, you think he's just dead here. And I don't know. It's crazy. It's such a such a cool chapter, such a cool scene. This uh, this is, like, the epitome of, of cool, like you're saying. This, this is why I love this kind of stuff. And, like, this is very early on for me. Like I said before, I this the first time I've, I've you know, experienced these stories i was i was watching the movie and so i hadn't i had no other context so mm-hmm. i thought gandalf i mean i hope we see that guy again yeah <laughs> because like he's pretty cool or whatever. Yeah. but yeah no genuinely like the first time i was like i was in tears like i was i was crying i was a kid i was so distraught i was like what is life mortality <laughs> like, you know? yeah and and i don't know man it's it hits so hard still every time i watch this this whole scene and the sequences so i don't know and even though you know he comes back, it still has weight. Oh, sure. You know? Yeah, I mean, and just his, like, self-sacrifice here in this moment is just really epic. And, and the seeing the grief of, like, the fellowship afterwards is also, like, really, start, like, hits home. You know, as they're all just, like, can't believe it. Even Aragorn is just, like, can't believe what's happened and is overcome. Yeah, I mean, it's constantly, when Gandalf is there, I even you know, throughout the novel, even knowing everything that happens, whenever Gandalf is there, I'm like, everything's fine. Nothing can happen. Well, and that's what makes it such a brilliant storytelling right. moment because he is the safety net. And I got, you know, you have, when if you want to like give Tolkien crap for of, often like reassuring the reader, and he does, this is still a brilliant moment because he's pulling out the safety net for the, for the, for everybody here. He's pulling out the guy who always knows everything, the guy who, like, you know, as long as he's a part of the group, it's going to be okay. And if Gandalf can die, anybody can die. And famously, uh, Martin has come out and said that he thinks that, um, in his opinion, you know, I think he's being a little bit cheeky, but he says in his opinion, he thinks that Tolkien made a mistake by bringing Gandalf back. You know, I think I think he's, you know, being a little bit playful there, but just because I, I think he's pointing out the difference in in how he wants to tell mm-hmm. his story. But he does also say because he thinks Tolkien was it was a brilliant move to kill Gandalf yeah. here because because of what it does to the story. Right. I mean, I understand why he's saying that. I and I get that because because it would mean yeah. if Gandalf was gone, how much more would it this moment mean? How much more would everything yeah. else he'd done up to this point mean? 
Um, yeah. and like, yeah, the fact that he comes back is kind of a cop out and uh, not in my opinion in the, in the, you know, in the eyes of like Martin saying that it can be seen as yeah. a cop out, but, um, well, and, um, we got some feedback, uh, recently about, about, um, from, from one of our listeners named Alex, who was saying basically how Catholicism is a really big thing for Tolkien. Mm-hmm. And I think even though he dislikes allegory, I think you cannot look at Gandalf here and then him dying and then coming back, basically being resurrected, as not saying like, "Oh, this is a lot like Jesus Christ," right? Absolutely. Like I, I, you know, and I think that that is a story that Tolkien wanted to tell. And I think the, you know, the idea of like a savior who basically dies for you and then comes back for you, I think, you know, I think it's safe to say that that's that's what he's going for here. Yeah. I agree. There's and there we should mention the fact that like there is a lot more threading in of like Catholicism or religious beliefs in this story in general, because yeah. it's it's it, like you've said, allegory isn't really the thing that Tolkien wanted to say that he liked. But he, I mean, he has really good friends with C.S. Lewis, who like famously like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe series is all very the Chronicles of Narnia is very much. Yeah, there's a lot of like Christianity things built into that and. It's just like to not have it, this story also be some sort of allegory for some religious things would be, would. I have this like headcanon for Tolkien and C.S. Lewis where Tolkien re- like read over Lion, Witch of the Wardrobe and was like, this is cool, but I feel like it's a little on the nose with the with the um, religious <laughs> like the Christ yeah. allegory. And, and C.S. Lewis is like, no, this is what I want to do. And they had this like differing of diff- I, I should say, I don't know if any of this is true. This is my no, I'm pretty sure that this is so, this is true. Yeah, <laughs> we were there. And like, you know what I mean? Tolkien, this is why Tolkien is so against like says he's so against allegory is because he's like having this long outstanding argument with C.S. Lewis or he's like, you can't do this. It's too on the nose. And so he's just doubling down on it, like in public saying that he doesn't like it. And it's like this like private jab at c.s lewis i don't know i'm sure that's not true but i think it's funny i hope so man i like that (laughs) so yeah something else i think we should talk about is um the balrog and just like lore in general of of what we got from from the from the fellowship of the ring and just to think of all the i mean gandalf talks about how he's like the wielder of the flame and like the he talks about like kind of his titles and the things that he's done as he's fighting the balrog and like that kind of stuff is what makes what as a kid and still today interests me so much but what it enthralled me is like knowing that like there are these like Gandalf is seemingly like a a somewhat powerful wizard and knowing mm-hmm. that there are such there are creatures like a Balrog and knowing that there are other things that we don't see and kind of just he just implies that there's like other other things that were worse than Sauron and that kind of thing the world building is just unbelievable in all of yeah. these stories yeah it just really draws you in right all right, before we get to the uh, last bit here, which contains another favorite of mine, the uh, Boromir chapter at the end, oh, yeah. um, which I can't wait to talk about, I thought we'd talk, uh, stop for a second and tell you guys about Audible. Yeah, Audible is an app that you can use to listen to something like 80,000 different audiobooks that they have in their collection, and they've been nice enough to give us an affiliate link. It's audibletrial.com forward slash ink2film, and with that, you get 30 free days to their service and one free audiobook in their whole collection. Yeah, and I mean, it's a little late now, I think, because it's passed, but they do sales every now and then, too, where you can get, like, two books for one credit. We just took we just took advantage of that. Um, I also wanted to recommend this week uh, A Game of Thrones by one George R. R. Martin, um, just because we've just been talking about Martin, so I thought I'd throw him out there. He's a favorite author of mine. 
He writes epic fantasy, if you don't know already. Uh, you know, there's an HBO series based off of his his work. And those books are amazing. And if you haven't actually read the book, maybe you've only you know you've only seen the show. I highly recommend reading the books. Um, I I am a huge book fan, and I think they add a lot more to the sh- to the show. Um, so yeah, that'll be my recommendation this week. George R. R. Martin. You can definitely get all of his books. Each one's one credit, even though they're like thirty or forty hours long. <laughs> so great value. Um, get those on Audible. Use our link, which is audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film. You can get uh, one of his titles for free. And uh, I don't know about you, man, but audiobooks are, are awesome. I use them all the time. I use them for this show, but I also just listen to stuff on my own because it enables you to be able to multitask. And I don't know. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I'm constantly listening to something. If I'm not listening to a podcast, I'm listening to an audiobook. I basically replaced, I listen to music, but I don't listen to music like I used to. I listen to way more podcasts and audiobooks now. I agree. I use music to like get in the mood for something right. like, you know what I mean? Get hyped for something, whatever it might be. Or like when I'm writing, cause I, I listen to, uh, like scores, word free music. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I long car rides, nothing beats like an audio book or a podcast, one or the other. So yeah, listen to, listen to ink to film or, uh, or, or use our, 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 uh, our link and listen to George R. R. Martin. Uh, yeah, through Audible. That's audibletrial.com forward slash ink to film. All right, let's get back into it. We are on chapter six, Lothlorien. So Aragorn leads them on and they travel to the Miromir and they're trying to get far away from the orcs. Uh, they go into Lothlorien and Legolas the whole time is like, like he's all for it, but Gimli's not so sure. Um, and neither is Boromir. Yeah, Boromir's like, these are strange paths. I'd rather stay out of this golden wood. And Aragorn's like, uh, the only people who need to fear anything here is e- are evil people. So they pass through the forest and river, and then all of a sudden Frodo hears this voice singing. Legolas sings a song, tells them the tale of the elves awakening the evil in the mountains. And Aragorn decides, you know what, let's, uh, let's, let's rest in the trees, because I think that'll be safer. So Legolas climbs the tree first, and he's surprised when he comes upon an elf, basically, in there. And they speak down from the trees, and uh, we meet a pair of elves, Haldir and Rumil. So the pair says they don't know of hobbits, and they were confused when they saw them come in, but they saw that they came with an elf, so that kind of like gave them points. And also they know Aragorn, and he has the favor of the Lady Galadriel. Um, they can't let Gimli cross, though. They say no dwarves are permitted in their land. And and Frodo's like, oh, come on, guys. Elrond sent Gimli um, with me, and you guys know who Elrond is, right? And they're like, mm, okay. So they're kind of convinced, and they go, but he must go blindfold. Let's go, you know, like a blindfold on. And... and Gimli is not about that. He does not like this. And so they, they kind of argue about that. Um, but but that seems to be the agreement that they're going to go, right? Mm-hmm. And, and oh, this is a, yeah, they sleep in these trees, um, and they, but they find it tough to, tough to do. And like Sam keeps thinking, like worrying he's going to fall off in his sleep and roll off, which I would totally be afraid of. <laughs> yeah, they hear t- talk about some orcs being fought off in the distance. Or get sighted. I don't think they actually fight them because there's not enough of them. And they, they again, another golem sighting. Um, Haldir says that he, he, he was like, I saw something I never saw before. It's this weird little hobbit-like creature, and it was creeping around in the darkness. So, yeah, Haldir confirms he's seen Gollum. And then they take off to the Nimrodel, and uh, oh, they they get to the Silverload River, and the way that they cross it is with like a rope that the that the elves can just run across, like it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a single rope in the air, which is pretty That's sweet. Awesome. <laughs> um, but then they tie two more ropes to make it easier for the rest of them to cross. They do that. 
And then this is where Gim- Gimli like puts his foot down. He's like, I'm not going to wear a blindfold. This is bullshit. I didn't agree to that. And he feels like it's an insult against his character. And he even draws his axe at one point. Um, but G- G- Aragorn comes to the um, to the idea of like, you know what? We're all going to get blindfolded. And then uh, Gimli's really happy about that because he's like, I'm happy that Legolas is going to get blindfolded. <laughs> so as long as he's going to be blindfolded, then I'm, I'm down. Man, I love the relationship between the dwarves and elves. And then specifically Gimli yeah. and Legolas. Like... Just yeah. the overarching, like, the you know, they've gone back and forth for thousands of years, seemingly, and then it just makes their friendship that much more powerful, in my opinion. And it uh, and it says something. Yeah, there's a cool kind of allegory here for, like, coming together and putting aside your differences, for sure. As they go in, it feels like Frodo's senses are enhanced, and, and there's no shadows in the land of Lorien, and he's just, like, taken with the beauty. He can hear. It's because he can't see. So he can hear and smell. Um, we get his other senses. Oh, eventually they uh, some other elves come up and say, hey, the lady told us that you guys can all walk free and uh, have your eyes unbound. So <laughs> they're able to take their blindfold, bl- blindfolds off. And they get into this ancient, heart of this ancient realm, which is like the center of elfdom. Frodo is just like overcome with wonder. And there's no stain in Lorien. And uh, Sam says he feels like he's inside a song. Frodo feels it's a timeless land, which they're, sa- they're saying that's the power of the lady. It, she's, she's causing it to be this way. And uh, Halder takes them up to this high uh, flit, flat, um, which is what they call these like platforms that are built or like rooms that are built on these trees. And so he takes them up into this big tree and uh, they, he can see this green city beyond. So Halder takes him down from this high vantage point and they take them into the heart of Elfdom, uh, which is Lothlorien. And I wanted to say here, basically, my takeaway from this is also that, like, Lothlorien feels like almost an apology from Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, sorry to have put you through that, guys. I'm going to I'm gonna take you to this really magical, sweet land, and we're going to spend a couple chapters here and, and let you, like, get over your get over your grief of what just happened with Gandalf. You yeah, know? it's very much like that. It's almost like another Rivendell. They're, like, in another very mm-hmm. safe area with a lot of elves and a lot of magic and cool stuff going on. Interesting people. A lot of songs. All right, so chapter seven, the Mirror of Galadriel. So this is going to be a lot of the like uh, prophecies that you were talking mm-hmm. about. So they head in farther into these tall trees, and they finally come to Caras Galadon. Galadon. I don't know how to say that. And there's this beautiful trees, huge fountains, and they head up into it, and they meet Celeborn and Galadriel in this you know high chamber. And she says nothing but just stares at them. <laughs> um, and Celeborn is the one who kind of talks, and he welcomes them all, and including Gimli. And then they kind of ask, like, what happened to the ninth? And then Galadriel's like, oh, yeah, Gandalf the Grey didn't come with you. I cannot find him. And uh, Aragorn says, you know, alas, Gandalf the Grey fell into shadow. He remains in Moria. And, like, all of the elves freak out. They're, like, all, like, gasp, and and they're all really sad. Um, And they tell the tale of what happened and of the Balrog. And Galadriel um, defends Gandalf's decision to go into the mines because Celeborn was kind of like, ah, oh, he made him, you know, his wisdom died when he went into Moria. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you don't, you know, she says like, you don't know what he, you know, n- he doesn't do anything by accident or whatever. Like, right. you know, everything he does has a purpose. Um, I, I don't know if that's true, but it's, it, it is kind of cool to see her kind of take his side here. And then she does this thing where she stares at each of them. And they they all like get kind of uncomfortable under her gaze, except for uh, Legolas and Aragorn are the only two who can just like withstand it. And like later on, they're resting and they're talking about it. And Sam says he felt naked when she stared at him, which made him embarrassed. And then they all talk about how they felt that each of them was offered a choice to like go back or have something that they wanted. 
and 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 then they had to like choose not to listen to it, right? And and Frodo doesn't reveal what was said to him, and neither does Boromir. Um, and it's interesting because we don't get it here. I, I don't know if we get some of this stuff later, but like I wonder, like what do you think was offered to? I don't know Boromir. Well, I think Boromir, and, and how was he able to resist it? Yeah, I think it, with I think this is like the seeds of of what goes on with Boromir being planted. I think that she's like if you like kind of tempting him, like because his weakness isn't like oh turn away, you need to go see your family and and be happy. Like he isn't, you know what I mean? He's not that kind of guy. I think it's like the power that you seek is here, and you could you could take hold of it and potentially use it. Like she was tempting him to see if he would turn. And then this it's cool that he resists it, though, right. right? Like he he passes the test here, which just shows like how really he's holding out a long time, I guess. So they spend a long time there. Uh, Legolas goes off and he's he, and we hear that he's actually walking around with Gimli a lot, like showing him around. And this is where we start to learn that like him and Gimli are becoming like fast friends, which is, I, you know, sweet. I love it, man. <laughs> uh, it's I don't know, like I maybe just because I've seen so much of it in the movies, like I find the Boromir Aragorn stuff cooler, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I think it's just because it's I I didn't focus on it the first time around. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people are singing songs of lamentation about Gandalf and Elvin, and then uh, Frodo sings his own song, and it's a pretty cool song. And he laments this weary, weary pil- pilgrim on the road, and he says, "In Kazadum, his wisdom died." And then Sam sings a little ditty about his fireworks, and he says he really wants to see elf magic. And, uh, oh, we get this nice little axiom here, which I, I thought was cool. He says, it's the job that's never started that takes longest to finish. And it's also kind of him saying, like, we should get on the, we should, like, get going with this thing. Yeah. <laughs> so finally they see Galadriel again, and she beckons them into this room, and she says, here is the mirror of Galadriel, and uh, you can look in it if you wish. It shows things that were, things that are, and things that may yet be. And uh, Sam's like, yeah, I'll look into it, but I'm probably just going to see some stars. Like, he's very doubtful <laughs> that it's going to work for him. Um, he sees Frodo and himself going up an endless stair. He sees trees being cut down in the Shire, which makes him angry. He wants to like go back to the Shire. Um, and he sees some evil things, you know, happening in the mirror. And she says, "Oh, you know, some things, some things may not happen that you see in the mirror." Which I, I feel like is kind of a cop out. I don't know. Like I always don't All like those that. things are going to happen. So it's like, yeah, so exactly. So her saying like, "Oh yeah, they might not happen," is I don't know, kind of weird. It's like I'd rather her be like, "Yeah, everything you saw in there is going to happen." Yeah, I think it's like more intimidating mm-hmm. that way. So Sam's like, oh, man, I wish we could go back. But then he says, uh, you know, I'm not going to leave Frodo. So after this journey's over, I'll return and I can, like, deal with them chopping down trees where they're not supposed to. He had a moment of weakness, too. He was kind of, like, he was kind of, like, panicking, like, he wanted to go back. And then Galadriel was like, well, you have to stay with your master. And he's like, you're right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're right. It's a moment where he almost almost wants to turn back. Which is, like, the only time we really see him falter like that. Then Frodo asks, uh, he's like, should I look? And do you advise it? And she she won't say either way. She's like, it's completely up to you. And he's like, all right, I'm going to look. So he he sees all kinds of stuff. Like he sees this figure that reminds him of Gandalf clad in white, which is a little bit of like a like, hey, from Tolkien, like he's going to be okay. But it's not obviously G- Gandalf. So it's still ambiguous. Right? They mentioned Saruman. So it's like you think, oh, it might be Saruman. Yeah, it could be Saruman. Yeah. Um, he sees Bilbo like pacing restlessly in his room. Uh, he sees all this different history. There's like a ship with black sails, a ben, a, an emblem with a white tree. And then suddenly the mirror goes dark and a single single eye, uh, you know, rimmed with fire, yellow as a cat's eye, fills the thing and it's like searching for him. And then all of a sudden the ring grows heavy and starts dragging him down. And then he like is able to pull back and get away from it. And then the lady says like, I already know what you saw. And she reveals to him that she has one of the three rings of power, the ring of adamant, Ad- adamant. 
uh, he, she says, you know, if you succeed in your quest, my power is going to fade. And if you fail in your quest, then we're going to get controlled by the Dark dark Lord. So either way, it's not great for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, she, yeah, she has this moment where she says, like, he offers her the ring. And, you know, and she says she's wondered for many years what she might do in this moment. And then she says that line about, like, instead of a Dark Lord, you would have this horrible queen, terrible, terrible and worshipful. And then eventually she kind of laughs and shrinks back down and she says she's passed the test. And, um, you know, oh, we also get a thing where she talks about how the ring works and that it grants ta- like power to its bearer as appropriate to their like skill level and like their own familiarity. Right. So that's like a good explanation for why when Sauron puts on the ring, he's like going to become godlike. Exactly. Whereas when Frodo puts on the ring, he just turns invisible. Exactly. Which is really cool and, and like adds that mo- much more depth. Well, and it's also scarier to think about, like, what if Gandalf or her had the ring right. on, how they would have all this other power, too. She says that she would begin by in an attempt to do good, but it would, not, it would not finish that way, and it would lead to evil. And then, yeah, that's the end of this chapter. So I find Galadriel as interesting as, as Gandalf. Like, I think that she's very, like, she has all this power. She has one of the rings of power. She seems to be, like, she's not giving advice to Frodo when he's asking for it. She had been like already kind of mulling over what she would do if she got a chance to get the ring. And like she had thought like maybe she had wanted the ring at some point. And then mm-hmm. she would be this dark queen. Like that would be so, so wild and so cool to see. Like, but then she, she resists the ring, which is something that not many people in the story can do. Very few. She's physically offered the ring. It's a nice reminder of the power of the ring to like force you to try and take it which I think is important because they're setting that up. Um, also, this reminded me of that saying we got at the very beginning of this book. Um, I forget who says it, but there's like a saying that uh, beware the the asking, uh, like something like asking elves for advice because they will say both yes and no. Yeah. And <laughs> I think it's like perfectly like shown here, right? Where she, he's like, should I look in there? And she's like, I don't know. It's Do <laughs> <laughs> great, man. Um, I love being in the wood elf area as well because like, it seems like it seems like Rivendale is more of like a high elf area, right? Kind of almost like royalty. I don't know, man. And then this seems yeah, to be different. Like, there are different factions of elves. Yeah. yeah. All right. So chapter eight, farewell to Lorien. Um, so the company goes to the chamber of Celeborn one final time, and he he uh, he offers to give them these boats that they're going to use to go down the river. And they have to make a decision whether or not they're going to go to the east shore, or the west shore, basically if they're going to go to Minas Tirith or not. And they can't decide. Aragorn's like, we'll just have to decide when we get there. <laughs> he knows that he wants to lend his sword to Gondor. Like, he has this reforged sword, and he thinks that it's, like, his destiny to return to Gondor. Um, and Boromir definitely wants to go back there. Um, oh, and this is the first moment where Frodo catches something strange in Boromir's voice, where he's talking about, like, the ring and how it's, like, a waste just to throw it away yeah. and, 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 and all this stuff, right? right. And, and this is the first hint of Boromir kind of, I think, being twisted by the, by the ring. There's a funny moment where Gimli eats this entire cake um, that we find out is this like special bread that's gonna um, that you only need to eat like a tiny bit of to fill you up for a day, <laughs> and he eats the whole thing. So another like funny moment that's right out of the book. So they get all they all get these sweet cloaks that are like camo cloaks essentially, and they'll like turn to the color of like whatever like chameleon cloaks almost, right? Right. And I like this moment too because like uh, Sam's like, oh, these magic are these cloaks magic? I think it's Sam or one of them. And the elves don't even know what that means. I like the idea that they're like, we don't know what you mean by magic, but they they have all these colors in them. And so it's cool because it's like the, their magic is very natural to them. Like it's not considered this otherworldly thing. Right. Heldir comes and guides them out of the city. They get in the boats 
And they go in this, they go Aragorn, Frodo, Sam in one boat, Legolas and Gimli in another, and then Merry Pippin and Boromir in the third. And they, as they're heading down the river, all of a sudden they see Galadriel and Celeborn again. They're like singing and they're in this swan ship and they kind of cruise up to them like, hey, we're here. <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. I'm like, how the fuck did they get like, down in the river in their swan ship? But here they are. And they're like, oh, let's go over this way and have another feast. So they take them over to another area and they have another feast before they leave. And she, they're talking about what lies ahead and, and, and talk about Fangorn. And then Galadriel says, I'm going to give each of you a gift, which I was like waiting for. I was like, when did she give the gifts? She gives Aragorn a sheath to fit his sword that's supposed to like keep it really powerful. But then also like a silver brooch, which is a token of hope and an elf stone. She doesn't really elaborate on what that does. Uh, Boromir, Pip, Merry and Pippin each get belts. She doesn't say what they do, but they're cool. Like one's a gold belt and Merry and Pippin's are silver. And then Legolas gets this sweet bow uh, strung with the, strung with a, a string made of elf hair. I was like, okay, <laughs> apparently that's like really strong or something. Sam gets a box of gray wood filled with earth from the orchard, which she says that if you put that in your garden when you get back to the Shire one day, it's going to make your garden like badass and grow like crazy. I love that, yeah. I can't wait to see Sam in the Shire with his sweet garden. So he's going to carry this box of dirt with him, though, all the way to freaking Mordor and yep. back. <laughs> but it'll be worth it. It's tough. Because he's a gardener. <laughs> yep. Uh, to Gimli, she asks him what, what, what he would have. And, uh, okay... Even though it's like a sweet moment, it's a little bit creepy too. See, I felt like it was going to be creepy, and then I actually like afterwards was like, I actually like that. I think it's it's creepy only if you stop and think about it. But like in the moment, the way it's described, it's not creepy. So he says like he he all he would like he's like oh I don't want anything, and they're like really really what do you want? You just tell me anything, and he like he's like bashful for a moment. He's like I would like to have a single strand of hair, and she's and he says uh, she's like what are you what would you do with it? Fair question. And he says, oh, I will treasure it forever. It'll become an heirloom of my house and I'll put it in a crystal as a symbol of the goodwill between elves and dwarves. So that's like what makes it kind of cool. Right, that's why I like but it. But like, I don't know, asking for a lock of hair is just like a little bit serial killer-ish yeah, too. So. Typically, I think that's weird and <laughs> creepy and it is a little creepy. I think it makes sense. And, and like he, it is more of that building of the, the dwarves and the elves as friends and it's cool. I like that. Yeah. No, I, I'll, I'm just giving him some shit, right. really, because it's like it's really only if you're jaded, which I guess I am. <laughs> but like, if you're if you're if you know if you if you don't think of that, it's it's fine. I think I don't know. So to the ring bearer, she gives this crystal file, which is holding a light, and she says, "May it be a light to you in dark places when all other lights go out," which is another famous line. I wonder if that'll be right. useful later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they set on to the river, leaving the lady behind, and she sings a song to them in Elven as they're like getting away. And Gimli's like weeping openly and Legolas is consoling him. And then uh, Gimli says something I thought was really cool. He says, you know, because like, he's like, you'll always have the memory of this. It won't fade. And he says, memory is not what the heart desires. And um, which I just think that's a, that's kind of an interesting, cool moment, yeah. right? Like a, tru- like, a bit, like a truism. Right. So down the river they go at night. And then that's the end of the chapter. I'm pretty hungry for some Lumbus bread. I got to get some <laughs> of that stuff. You're going to eat a whole one? A whole one in, in one sitting. <laughs> I just I like this this we keep getting these reprieves in the story and like I know it slows down the pacing and like you could cut out a lot of this and make it just like go so fast and and like be super super action packed the whole way through but like it's so it's so great to just slow down and learn about the elves and get like you know learn about all each and everything that each character gets and that's something I was going to mention back in the in the the um bridge back when Gandalf passed where it's like it's like even though all this stuff is going on in that scene we knew the reaction of every character after Gandalf fell. So like we get we get every single detail that you would want 
to know because like that's a that's a big deal like how did everybody react in that instant moment and we got we kind of got that so it's cool just to see like each person get their get their gift and for sure man and and i i keep thinking about how like a lot of this stuff has been gamified over the years and we think of them as like getting better gear and kind of like getting prepared for the journey on and they are doing that um it's just like i feel like it's more innocent than that in this book because it's like uh Tolkien hadn't played video games. You know what I mean? He hadn't played Dungeons and Dragons in the, in the back in the forties. Um, wasn't invented yet. So this is all more like authentic here. Whereas I guess like if you got these moments in like a modern story, it would feel very much like getting better gear. He's leveling up, you know, very gamified. So chapter nine is called the great river. And they, this is another kind of travelogue chapter where they spent a lot of time on this river, right? They see some eyes behind them, and uh, they notice that it's Gollum. This is the first time where they like finally say it out loud. They're like, "Oh, that's Gollum," and, and Frodo's like, "Yeah, I've suspected it." Yeah, for a we've while. been saying in the podcast and, so far, we've been saying like it's Gollum, but like really, it's just been like creepy eyes the whole time. And like, if you didn't know that it was Gollum, we wouldn't have known. But this is the moment they're like, "Yeah, th- that was Gollum for sure." And Fro- Frodo scares him off at n- that one night, and then Ar- he talks to Aragorn about it. And Aragorn's like, "Yeah, I know he's been following us." <laughs> um, he says he tried to catch him one time, but it, he's too slippery and like tricksy. Which is cool because it makes it makes you think like, what else has Aragorn been up to when everybody's like sleeping or when he's like he has, has his own little adventures? So they continue on, and then all of a sudden the orcs start firing arrows at them, and uh, one even strikes Frodo but bounces off his mithril, which another pretty cool mithril moment. <laughs> um, just completely arrows just bounce off of it. <laughs> So they fight the current, and they eventually end up on the western shore. Uh, Legolas waits, bow in hand, and he sees some sort of black-winged creature. And then he fires, and it hits it, and it falls, and that, like, demoralizes the orcs on the far shore. And Gimli's like, great shot. And, and, and he's like, thanks, but we don't know what, it, what we hit. And, and, and Frodo said, like, it was kind of like a Balrog, but it's not a Balrog. And uh, he, Frodo seems to think he knows what it is, but he's not sure. Um, so th- and then they just kind of move on. What what was this? What was this thing that, that Legolas? That's shoots? what I was wondering. Like, is this the creature that we see like late, like when like the Night King or not the Night King? <laughs> yeah, honestly, that's what I was thinking too. Um, not the Night King. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the Witch, Witch King. King. Yeah. So the Witch King. Yeah. The they they fly on these. Um, there's a name for their mounts. They're flying mounts. And like, yeah, I had the same thought. I was like, is this one of those things? But then I wasn't sure if it was also just like a like a big hawk or something. I think I it know. must have been. I think it. I, but after thinking that it might be one of those things that they mount later, I think it was just something random. Like because I think it was just like some sort of creature that like had they had to fight. Had he had had he not shot it out of the air, it would have been like a Balrog esque fight. Like probably not as magically I, I powerful. It, but, not Balrog esque yeah. because. Because, I mean, like, a single arrow isn't going to take out something right. like that. But, right? like, something that would have been tough to kill. Yeah. It's interesting that we don't really find out what it is. So they debate their path. They still haven't decided. Are they going to go to Minas Tirith? Boromir really wants to go home, and he's like, we should do that. That's That makes the most sense. We can we can go back to there and see where the what the enemy's been, been doing and, like, find and like make a new plan. So then the next day, they continue through fog, mist, and rain, and they arrive at Argonoth, a pair of vast pillars shaped in the likenesses of great kings of old with their left hands raised. And um, Aragorn is all inspired because these were, like, his sires of old, um, which is cool to also, like, moment of, like, Aragorn's, like, you know, line- lineage being one, on display. One of them is Isildur, right? Uh maybe I, I didn't catch that i think it is Definitely. i mean i could be wrong could have been. but i i think okay. but the, it's so cool because it's like how many times have you seen this and maybe he didn't create this maybe this wasn't tolkien creating this but like the two pillars or the two giant things that 
represent something from the past that it's like a gateway that they have to pass it's through. iconic so iconic yeah yeah and so they pass into that and they they reach this like island and then that's the end of that chapter and we have one remaining all right chapter 10 the breaking of the fellowship so they rest on the bank and aragorn is growing uneasy and he says a shadow and a threat have been growing in my mind he asks frodo to pull out sting this is another his senses right so uh, Frodo pulls out Sting, and he sees that there are orcs. There are orcs near, but not like super close. It's like fading very. F- it's it's glowing very faintly. So uh, they again say we must choose, and so they're like trying to come to a decision. No one's speaking up, and, for, and the, ultimately they say, Frodo, you're going to have to decide. You're the ring bearer, and he says, I need an hour to think about it, and he's going to go walk off. So he goes walking off, and Sam notices Boromir watching him very intently. And Frodo says he feels unfriendly eyes on him. Up, this is later. He's like up in the in the woods now, and he feels unfriendly eyes on him. He turns around. And he sees Boromir, who actually looks very friendly. He's like, "Oh, that's weird." And it, I like the way he like keeps you like unsettled though with these kind of like little things, mm-hmm. right? And so Boromir sits there and he's like, "Oh, can I just sit and talk to you? I want to offer you some counsel." And, and Frodo's like, "Okay." So he sits down and he says, um, "You know, now it's just the two of us, and we don't have to have all these debates. I can just talk to you, right?" Frodo says, like, I know what you're going to say, and my heart is telling me to say no. And Boromir says, you know, starts getting angry, and he's like, our strength, my strength has long protected you in the Shire, and, you know, you don't even, you haven't even been thinking about it. You've just been, like, trusting in the strength of men. And he's he asks, like, can I see the ring? Um, and he gets this, like, strange gleam in his eyes. And uh, Frodo says no, and then he, Boromir has this moment, he's like, oh, I care not. And then... Um, they start talking he starts like talking to himself and he's like what good is it you know to to get rid of it and frodo's like were you not at the council and boromir kind of ignores it and he ignores it and he says i was there but i uh true-hearted men could wield it you know as long as they have like a good cause and 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 they have strength in their heart and he believes that he has that right and he says he's this is where he says it's a gift to the foes of mordor and he thinks that the, the ring would give him the strength to command. And he, he starts to, like, imagine himself as this king who's, like, benevolent and is able to fight off um, fight off the evil. And he says it's folly to send a hobbit alone into Mordor by himself. And it's just going to give the ring back to the enemy. And I, I like I really like a lot of his arguments here because yeah, they make a lot definitely. of sense on the surface of them. You know, if if he, the one thing is knowing that it won't work because it will twist him. But like, if you didn't know that a lot of his arguments are really good. Cause it's like, we're going to send you by yourself into Mordor. You're just going to get killed and he's going to have the ring back. Like I could see being like, that's not a good plan. Right. I mean, he, that's what makes the whole story of Vormir so heartbreaking because like, ultimately he doesn't want, like they, they make a turn to make him see like they, Tolkien makes a turn to make Vormir seem like this evil person in this moment but like and i feel like people look back at the movie and the story and they think of boromir as like a bad person but like genuinely well i think they think of him as weak like he had a weak heart and he's able to he succumbs to the ring you know what i mean when everybody else is able to resist but it just so like it could have been anyone like anyone could have yeah well and i think this i think what happens is boromir has a strong heart but he he has the strength of his convictions where he wants to protect his country and he wants to protect his people and that strength is so powerful in him that the ring is able to manipulate that and turn it into a desire for the ring. And so it's not, I don't think it is a weakness. It's, it's like, it's, it, they, it turns his strength against him. In this chapter, it turns into him seeing himself as this great king and all of this stuff. But like, 
genuinely it's about that's the ring right like that's the ring talking to him right but it's it's about protecting his people and we we learned earlier that all of his people are dying left and right and they're they're the ones who are going coming up against mortar on the daily basis i I don't know man i i feel for for boromir yeah it's another iconic moment like we talked about right like he so this what happens next he goes for the ring he leaps at frodo and he has this like raging fire in his eyes and frodo puts on the ring to escape him because he's you know it's the only thing you can think to do. And he thinks like, oh, you miserable trickster, you're going to bring the ring back to to, to Sauron. You, you know, you've been planning to do that the whole time. And he's like caught up in this madness and he trips on a stone and it like breaks him out of it. And then, and then that moment he starts to weep and he says, what have I done? What madness took me? And but at that moment, like Frodo's already gone and he doesn't hear it. Right. And yeah, that was like, I agree, like the moment where I just really feel bad for him because as much as like he believes all this stuff, he also is being like bewitched by the ring here, right? right? And he even recognizes it in this moment. He's like, "What the what the fuck have I been doing?" I mean, he came out the other right? side of it and was like, he wanted yeah. to, you know, Frodo is off on his own now, and he we'll get to it in a second. Yeah. So Frodo Frodo is on the has the ring on. And he goes up to this like top of this place, this ruins, and he can see all this stuff. He can see across the world, and he can see armies moving. You can see Orthunk and Minas Tirith and Mordor and Mount Doom and Barador. And then all of a sudden, he sees the eye, and it looks towards him. And eventually, he takes off the ring, but he feels like it almost sees him, right? It almost grabs him. And then he's resolved to do what he must. Then he says, the, you know, the ring of evil has worked, has, or the ring has worked its evil on even the company, and he can't trust them anymore. And it's kind of heartbreaking, too, because he doesn't see that Boromir came out the other side, like you said. Instead, he thinks, like, Boromir has been completely turned by right. the ring. And so he goes down, and he hears them crying for him, and he's like, oh, they're looking for me, but I can't, I can't, you know, show myself. So he puts the ring on again, and he uses it to, like, go down the hill, which I've always felt like it's weird how, like, one time he puts on the ring, and, like, he almost gets seen by Sauron, and then another time he puts on the ring, and he's just invisible, and there's no problems. Yeah. And, like, how does he know that he's not going to immediately be seen by Sauron when he puts it back on, right? Yeah, I think sometimes it's a calculated risk, but I agree. It's definitely, like, sometimes yeah. throughout the story, it's like, yeah, I, I don't buy it, you know? Like, you were just being seen by Sauron a second ago. He kind of uses it a lot sometimes. He could just use his cloak, right? right. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so we then we flash back down. We flash down to the group who are talking about, like, why has Frodo been gone so long? He's been gone for over an hour. And Gimli, Gimli and Legolas want to vote. They say that he, Gimli says he wants to go to Minas Tirith, but if Frodo decides he doesn't want to go there, he's going to follow him. And Aragorn says that, yeah, that um, he thinks that if anyone's going to go east, he thinks it should be him, Sam, and Gimli. And Pippin and Merry are not happy about this. And they're like, no, we're not going to leave him. We want to go with him too. And then Sam says he knows what Frodo is, is going to want to do. He's going to want to go alone. And he's like, we're going to have to talk him out of it. So Sam predicts that, right? And then Boromir all of a sudden reappears and he's like really grim and sad and he comes in and just like sits down and, and like, like deflated and Aragorn's like, what, what's going on? And he says, oh yeah, I spoke to Frodo and I, and, and I grew angry and he like doesn't really elaborate and, and, um, uh, Aragorn really seems to know something, something is up. Right. And so they all break out and they, they, um, they dash out to find Frodo cause they're like, we don't know where, what, what he's up to. So uh, Aragorn like tells Boromir, hey, go after Merry and Pippin. You can't let them go off alone by themselves. We can't split up. And then he goes after he goes after Sam. And then him and Sam run uh, go out looking for looking for Frodo when all of a sudden Sam realizes that Frodo's going to need a boat to go anywhere. Or Aragorn realizes that. And he tells Sam to go back. Um, but doesn't go with him, which is interesting. So just Sam runs back. And we see he sees this boat sliding out into the ba- off the bank into the water. And 
he runs out to the water, wades out, and and tries to jump into the boat, but just barely misses it and starts to drown. Uh, Frodo has to pull the boat around and like come and catch him and save him from 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 drowning. And he says, "Damn it, Sam, you'll be the death of me." And he's like, well, "I'm coming with you," and tells him to get his stuff. And kind of Frodo relents and says, "All right, you can come with me." And so Frodo and Sam set off together, leaving the boat and seeking a path down into the land of shadow. And that is the end of the book. What a cliffhanger, man. So reaction, yeah, reactions to this chapter. It's a big one. We didn't even touch on the Boromir stuff. Well, I mean, we talked about him being manipulated by the ring, but are you talking about when he gets, what happens in the exactly, next book? Yeah. Or at the end of the movie? I don't know if we should say. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not, It's Yeah, let's yeah. save it for when we get the two towers because it's an interesting difference, right? And we can talk about it in the movie episode. Right. But it, it makes this book end on a different note than the movie ends. Well, right? I feel like the the climax to this story happens much sooner than this. This wasn't, you know what I mean? This wasn't necessarily a climax. This was the, I think that this was like what is leading up to the next story from from the Balrog to now is kind of what's leading into the next story and setting up what's going to happen for the rest because they, they split the, the fellowship. It's a different kind of climax, um, so I can I can see what you're going for. I think it does operate as the climax of this book. I think him, Boromir trying to take the ring is basically the climax of this right. book. Um, but I agree that it's a different sort because you get it plus you get Boromir's you know further actions. I guess we should leave it and we could talk about it in the movie episode. Um, and those those further actions changes the tone. It changes the way we view B- Boromir. Because I think at the end of this book, you're left feeling like Boromir was kind of shitty, right? Like you see him being like feeling remorse, but that's all we see. Right. And we don't even know for sure that he's going to go after Merry and Pippin when Aragorn tells him to, right? Because he doesn't, he just, they tell, he tells him to, but we don't get like a line like Boromir sets off after the the hobbits because, you know, we don't know if he does it. So yeah, it it, it leads, it's like, I don't know, it's interesting. I guess it, it feels very lonely. It feels very frightening for um, Frodo and mm-hmm. Sam because we don't we know they're going off on their own. And then, yeah, we don't know what's going on with everybody else. It's really kind of a cliffhanger. Like, what's going to happen to the rest of our fellowship, right. right? Totally don't know. Yeah, it's very interesting way to end the book. And obviously, my thinking is always goes back to the, to the movie first. So very different ending. It's basically one part of a story that in the movie we get all parts of it. We know what happens with everybody, but in this we only know we only kind of follow Sam and Frodo here and we don't know what happens with everybody yeah. else. All right, so before we uh wind this episode up, I, I think just like general thoughts about this book, like what what has been your experience reading it this time for the podcast? Um, you know, what's st- what's really stood out to you that you want to talk about? Boromir, I followed Boromir's story more closely to see if there was moments where he was going to falter sooner and it there's not many i mean it's like very late in the game i think that getting like a lot more dwarf stuff enhances the story for me i love i love a lot of the mind stuff i would love to like know more but the fact that he leaves it kind of ambiguous and like open it like not ambiguous but like we he doesn't give us every detail makes it you know serious and more interesting I almost, as soon as I finished it, I almost wanted to just go back through and be like, I want to go back to the Shire and like read through a couple of the chapters and just like reimmerse myself again, right back on the things that we, that we were just to see where characters are at and, and like where they've ended up so far. So, uh, it's funny you should say that. So, uh, my wife, Annalisa has been saying to me the last two weeks, cause she listens, she's been listening to these episodes 
And like every day she comes back from listening to them. She's like, are we going to watch it? Like she wants to watch it now. And I'm like, no, 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 we got to wait. We got to wait. Cause I've been trying to wait to watch the movie until after we finished this book discussion. Cause I didn't want it to affect me right. too much, you know? Um, but like I told her, I was like, so as soon as we finish this episode, we can watch it. So <laughs> I think like you, we're going to watch it probably pretty nice. soon. Um, cause I know she's been dying to, um, dying to watch it. Maybe I'll wait, wait until after this episode comes out so she can at least hear this. <laughs> so, so the last thing I want to say about the book is that, um, I think this, this, it, it has been a different experience for me going back and reading it in this way, thinking about it from like a craft standpoint and thinking about what Tolkien is doing. That's, that's, that's so good. And what, and, you know, I think I still feel that Tolkien doesn't have a great sense of, of pacing, I mean, I think that in a modern sense, that's a problem for this book. But I also think that he was essentially inventing a genre here um, and pacing. It wasn't super important back then. And it was a lot more about like your prose and, and the beauty of language and, and that he has in spades. So that part of it you can enjoy. I think there are going to be points that drag for a modern reader. I think Tom Bombadil, I think we, we touched on a lot of them. But then there's highlights. I mean, yeah, the Bridge of Casa Doom. That chapter is just it's it's a legendary chapter in my opinion, in 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 the, in the history of fantasy. And I think everybody who likes fantasy should read this book for that chapter alone. I agree. Yeah, on this viewing or sorry, on this read through, I actually was putting myself in the perspective of like how to adapt these movies. I'm like, how did Peter Jackson do this? Um, so I thought about a lot about how like decisions that he made, like we just talked about the ending. How did he what made him decide to have Boromir as this fallen hero? Yeah. What what made him cut out Tom Bomb? You know what I mean? There's obvious things that like needed to be cut and things that he he quickened the pace. You know, we talked about the fact that they they linger in certain places for months. Um, but just thinking about it from that perspective and thinking about the parts that he left in, the the specific lines, the specific details, that like the jokes. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was fascinating to look at it from that standpoint. It's a, it's a loving adaptation, like, you, like you've said in the past. You can tell his, his just ha- the respect he has for this material and the fact that it's, it's so true to the story. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing. I, I, I'm looking forward to, to talking with you about it. Also, just as an aside, I love the moments. It's just, it just always makes me laugh when you are talking about the book and you and you refer to it as seeing it and as a movie. I think it's so perfect for this podcast. Yeah. Well, I can't. I just <laughs> like it's make, crazy. Like, because... I feel like every time, every book you say like watching this film and then you're like have to catch yourself. It's just so it's, funny because you're like the movie guy. So it's funny that you go. It's back one. To of, that. It's funny because it's like it's just how I it's just how I process these things. Like I just I just feel like they're like whatever the medium like i feel like i'm viewing it or i feel like i'm not sure but yeah i think i go back to you know i say watching or, or seeing or whatever a lot but yeah probably at least once per, per project if not yeah. more but i love it. it's great it's great <laughs> i love it <laughs> um but yeah i have a ton to say about that boromir stuff like i really want to touch about like why i think he made that those changes but i think the best time to do it is after we've seen it, right? right? Like I want to go see that scene now so I can really, really get into Definitely. it. So I think, I, I think I'm about done with the book if you are, man. Yeah, man. I mean, again, this was a great experience. It was a pleasure to do it yeah. with you, Luke. It was fun to, yeah. to get to relive this book again. It's been a... We've been looking forward to this one. There's a few There's a few projects that we've been like looking forward to since we started this podcast, and this is definitely yeah. one of them. And, 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 I, and what's great about it is we can look forward to doing more Tolkien in the future because it's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. All right, so I have one final question I'm going to ask you, but I want you to save your answer. Okay. So the question is, if given the opportunity to have one item, obviously not the one ring, oh, but wow. one item that's been given to one of our characters, one magic item, okay. um, maybe it's something from Galadriel or something else, 
what would you what would you choose if you get to choose one of them? Okay. Um, I'm going to have you save your answer, though, for the end. Sounds good. I've already got so many answers flowing through me. You can be thinking about it. <laughs> yeah? Okay. So uh, before we get to that, I'll also give my answer, because why not? Um, but yeah, I wanted to say, if you enjoyed this episode, please take a, take a moment, give us a rating and a review, you know, whether it's on, uh, you know, wherever you listen to it. Um, iTunes is probably the most helpful, because that's the big one. But anywhere, uh, we'll take it anywhere. Just, yeah, a quick waiting review, just a few sentences. only takes a few seconds of your time, and it can really help us out. Also, if you wanted to connect with us, we're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at ink to film We're very active on there. So if you want to come write something on our Facebook page, anything, we'll see it. Also, we have a book club on Goodreads, ink to film book club and uh, it's getting pretty big. It's, it's fun to see other people in our group, so come join in. Yeah, I mean, it's not too big, but come join it and make it a little bigger. Um, it's it's small and growing, but uh, we'd, li- we'd love to have you. Uh, yeah, and also, if you'd like to send us any feedback, uh, another way to do it is to send us a email, uh, inktofilm at gmail.com. Uh, Alex just did that a little while ago and, and, and talked to us about the Catholicism in this story. If you have anything like that, any notes you want to send to us, maybe something we got wrong, bit of lore that we don't know about, we'd love to have people like, write in and tell us, hey, this is what this means, right? So anything like that, send it to film at gmail.com. Also, if you want to just keep up to date with everything, uh, we have a newsletter. You can find that at inktofilm.com. I think it's in our about section or our contact section. It's it's pretty good, easy to find on that website. Um, and yeah, you can use that link to sign up for our newsletter, and then you can keep abreast of all the uh, latest happenings in, uh, in this podcast. And thank you to Audible for giving us that affiliate link. Once again, it's audibletrial.com forward slash inktofilm. And you get 30 free days to that service, one free audiobook in their collection. Give it a try, guys. It's awesome. And thank you to Music Archive for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, man. It's, comes, it's come time. Select your magic item. What do you choose? So I have, I have a couple of uh, caveats. I'm going to ask you, are we in Middle Earth? Are we in our current Earth? Like, what are we? Because, like, <laughs> there's different things that I would need depending on what I'm, what's going uh, on. True enough. Uh uh, let's say we're in Middle Earth because I feel like it's probably going to have more use. In Middle it, Earth, right? I want the Mithril armor. Want I want that Mithril, mithril chainmail. Oh, I mean, also yeah. here on our Earth. <laughs> so just to say, to say it. you're like either way. Both, both <laughs> them, just to say. It. Yeah, but what, what do you think you would want? Yeah, I mean, we're if we're in if we're in Middle Earth, I think uh, I'm going to go with Glamdring because I just think that's a sweet like Gandalf's freaking sword is so cool. Um, one of the magic swords, I think Sting's probably a little too small for me since I am man sized. So yeah, I'll go Glamdring. My my instinct was to go was to go with uh, Aragorn's like reforged sword of the king, but. Yeah. I kind of want the Mithril. I think that's a lot of responsibility, you know, comes with it. You have exactly. to be a freaking king if you have that sword. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many great things. I think Mithril is an awesome choice, honestly. And uh, definitely for, like, our world, I would go with Mithril. I agree. You would go with Mithril for our um, world, for sure? Yeah, also because it's, like, worth, like, a lot of money. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Although I probably wouldn't sell it. So, I don't know. In our world, it's a little different. Maybe, yeah, like maybe the Limbus bread, right? <laughs> yeah, Limbus bread, man. Keep you full for a long time. I don't know. Um, our world's a little different. There's less, there's different threats here. Maybe just the light. Oh, the <laughs> light like would be, that's know. a really good one, actually, now that I think about it. But also, yeah. what about the soil? Like Sam soil. You can make some sweet plants. There you go. That's a good idea. You start a whole business. Yeah, yeah there you go. With your crazy garden. <laughs> you probably get a, a, accused of having GMOs. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, I think that's about it. So 
let's call it. All right, guys. It's been fun. Thanks for listening. All right. We hope you come back next week when we get to the movie. Until then, I'm Luke. And I'm James. Bye.